Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, and welcome to Dyslexia Devoted, the podcast dedicated to building awareness, understanding, and strategies to help those with dyslexia. I'm your host, Lisa Parnello, dyslexia therapist and founder of Parnello Education Services. This show features information, stories, candid interviews, and experiences with dyslexia at all ages. Join me as we dive into today's episode of Dyslexia Devoted. Hello, friends, and welcome back. As a parent, a dyslexia diagnosis for your child may seem overwhelming. You want to get them help, but you don't even know where to begin to find the right help that you need. Welcome to episode 17 of Dyslexia Devoted, where I'll give you a starting place for some questions you may want to ask a potential dyslexia tutor or specialist. Just like last week's episode, there is a bonus for this episode. I created a parent guide called Conversations with Educators about Dyslexic Students. If you didn't download it last week, there's actually a second part of it that guides you through questions that you should ask before you hire a tutor to help with your child's dyslexia. I'll put the link in the show description as well as the show notes for episode 17 on my website, parnelloeducation.com. This week, I've had the amazing pleasure of getting to continue the training of some awesome educators. Training can make a huge difference in how well an educator is able to help a child with dyslexia. This group was extra special because it is a group of educators that I already did the first level of their certification before, and now we are continuing their progress so they can learn how to teach dyslexia to groups of students at one time instead of just one-on-one. And it's been a pleasure to get to have some adult conversations, but also to keep spreading the word about dyslexia. Coming up in October is Dyslexia Awareness Month, and I think it's essential that we keep spreading the word about dyslexia and how to help students with dyslexia make progress. It is time to get to the heart of this week's episode. When you have a child with dyslexia, all you want to do is help them, and you want to make sure that you find the right person to do that job. Now, the hard part is you don't even know which questions to ask to know if you're picking the right person to help a child with dyslexia. So if you aren't going from a referral and a known source of somebody that you know has made excellent progress with kids, there are some key questions that you might want to ask before making your decision. So the first focus is on their experience. One of the first questions you might want to ask is how long they've been teaching kids with dyslexia. A teacher in their first or second year of teaching isn't going to be nearly as successful as a teacher who's been doing it for multiple years. Education is one of those things that you get better with time. And if you can only find someone who's less experienced, then take what you got. But if you have choices, be sure to pick somebody who's a bit more experienced if you can. The next question you might want to ask is how long do they typically work with a particular student? Don't be thrown off if they say several years. Mine is usually around three to five years for most of my students. I had a parent ask me that question, and I think they were thrown off and a little surprised that I said my average student is usually around four years, because I don't think they were thinking about having to hire a tutor for that long. And it's not that you have to. Don't feel like you have to work with a tutor that long. But really, a lot of it has to do with establishing relationships. A lot of times, once a family finds a tutor that works well and makes a bond with their child, they don't want to give them up, and they keep working with them, and they just change the focus of their goals. Often, dyslexia remediation takes about two years 
And so it's one of those things that after you've been bonded with a kid for two years, a lot of times it's really easy to keep going, but you just change your focus on what you're working on. So instead of working on dyslexia remediation, it's how do I take the assignment the teacher gave you at school and turn it into something that you better understand? How do I teach you how to write your essays for school? So it's no longer about remediating the reading and spelling, and it's more about translating your skills into schoolwork. And so if a tutor says that they work with students for a really long time, don't feel like you're pressured that you have to work that long. A lot of times it's because families choose to stick with somebody that they know and that they trust. And you also want to know that dyslexia remediation is not a quick fix. Anybody who promises you to be able to fix the dyslexia within six months is not doing true remediation. Anything that's a quick fix usually doesn't last and you have to try again and get a refresher later on because the students don't remember it. A lot of times the kids do a lot better if they get a little bit at a time over a longer period of time so that they can retain the information that they're learning. Now on to the next focus of your questioning should be about curriculum and training. The first question should be what curriculum or methodology do they use? Most commonly you will find dyslexia specialists that have some sort of Orton-Gillingham approach. So some might do the original OG, also known as Orton-Gillingham, or others might do Wilson Reading System. That's the one I use. Others use Slingerland. And there's a full list of International Dyslexia Association approved trainings on the IDA website. So I will link that in the show notes for you as well. And you want to make sure they're using a curriculum that is structured and follows a pattern. Educators who just do it kind of randomly, those ones don't tend to work out as well as if there is a clear systematic process that they plan to follow where skills slowly build upon each other, where you don't want them to randomly work on one thing this week, something totally different next week, and go back to the first thing the next week. You want to make sure they're following some sort of structured plan, not just making it up as they go. The next question is asking, were they trained? Not only were they trained, but how were they trained? Like I said at the beginning of this episode, I was training teachers for their next round of certification. And so when we think about educators for dyslexia, a lot of times the expert ones have had multiple years of training. If somebody's only had a three-day or a five-day course, that is not going to be the kind of educator that you want if you have the choice to have somebody who has more experience and is fully certified. There's a big difference between an educator who has been fully certified and one that isn't. One question that you can ask them is if they completed a practicum. And for those who don't know, a practicum is a supervised instruction with coaching so that the teacher learns new strategies from a supervisor watching their session with a student and then giving them feedback about how they can become a better educator and use better strategies to make their teaching more effective. Now, a teacher who's had a practicum will be much more effective than one who's taken an online course or a group workshop where they just sat in a room with a bunch of adults. Because there's one thing to know about teaching on paper, it's very different to be able to apply that to working with a child. Now, when you're asking if they're fully certified, you can ask them what their level of certification is for their program or methodology. So it depends on what program they're using. A lot of times, the highest is considered a dyslexia therapist or a dyslexia specialist, depending on the program that they use. So I would recommend that you find out what program they use and what is the highest level of certification that they might have. Next, it's time to get into the nitty-gritty details. First question is, where are the sessions held? Is it at your home? Is it at their home? Is it at an office? A library? Zoom? Consider this and decide if it's the best option for your child. 
So if it's at your home, is your home a little chaotic with five other kids and a dog running around? Is that a calm place that your student can focus? If it's at their home, is it somewhere that is easy for you to drive to? Have you checked traffic during the time of day that you would need to drive there? If it's on Zoom, does your child focus really well on Zoom in a one-on-one environment? Or is Zoom one of those things that even one-on-one, it's really a struggle? I know some parents worry about Zoom tutoring because they think about distance learning and what a nightmare that was for a lot of families. But you have to remember there's a really big difference between Zoom one-on-one with a student versus Zoom with 25 kids in a class on the computer screen. When it's live one-on-one and the teacher and the student are going back and forth constantly and they're not really dilly-dallying, a lot of times kids do better one-on-one on Zoom than they did before when they were in a group setting. So keep that in mind and maybe give it a try if it's your only option. The next question to ask is how long is each session? This can vary between 45 and 60 minutes depending on the educator for a variety of reasons. I have actually switched to 55-minute sessions so that I have time to switch materials between kids and have a little buffer if a parent runs late. I used to do 60-minute sessions, but that was usually when I only had two, maybe three kids after school in the afternoons. But now that my main job is working with the kids and I'm not working at the school any longer and I see seven kids back-to-back a lot of days, those extra five minutes can be pretty essential to get basic needs met in between clients each day. Another question you should ask is how many sessions per week do they recommend or require? For example, I know some tutors that actually require that the families commit to at least two days a week because that's usually when you make the most progress. I personally don't do that because a lot of times families will take whatever they can get on my schedule because I have a wait list. And so a lot of times it's, I will squeeze you in one session a week for now and as soon as something else opens up, you can have more. And so it really depends on the tutor's availability for them to decide what they recommend or require for their particular practice. The next question, which can be the most important, is how much does it cost? And this is where your first couple of questions that I mentioned earlier in this podcast episode about training and experience play a really big role. Experts in the field with more experience often cost more. All of that extra training and certification cost a lot of money on top of what is already student loans that most educators have. And then there's also the flip side. While this isn't usually the case, I've met a few educators over the years that have charged a lot more than what their experience is really worth because they've heard how much other dyslexia tutors can get. So they will charge that much money and have you pay top dollar when they aren't really that experienced. They haven't gotten their full certification and they haven't done any practicum and they're still charging just as much as educators who've been teaching kids with dyslexia for many years and have multiple certifications. So it's important to know that if you're going to pay top dollar, you better be getting an educator who's well-trained and worth it. Now, the cost can vary greatly for the tutor depending on many factors. So the first one being experience that I just mentioned, but then it can also matter Is this a teacher just doing it as a side job to make a little extra money? Is it somebody who rents an office because rent costs more? The other thing is, is this their only job? If it is their only job, they may have to charge more because they have to not only pay for office space, but they also have to pay for health insurance, which can be really expensive. Then you have to consider the cost of living. So it depends on where the educator is doing their work from. So if they're on Zoom, they may live somewhere different than you that has a different cost of living. That could mean that the tutor lives somewhere that costs less, and so maybe you can find a Zoom tutor that doesn't cost as much money because the cost of living where they are isn't nearly as high as where you live. But also, it can be the reverse. 
If you are living somewhere that has a really low cost of living, but you find a tutor who's elsewhere that lives where it's a high cost of living, the rate will be increased. So that will make a big difference in terms of the cost and how much it can be. I'm not going to give exact dollar amounts because I've learned that valley can be quite wide between where I am in the San Francisco Bay Area and those of you who live somewhere like Oklahoma. So it depends on where you are and how much it's going to cost and the level of certification and cost of living. And one more question about finance you might want to ask is if they charge for time and travel. For example, I didn't charge for going to people's houses when I didn't have an office, but now that I do, not only is gas expensive, it also limits how many kids in a day that I can see. So I will charge more for that time and travel to go drive to their house than I would if I go to my office. Because the thing is, the amount of time it takes me to drive anywhere, especially Bay Area traffic, yeah, I could have easily seen a whole extra child that day. So it cuts down instead of seeing two kids in this amount of time, I can only see one. Now, as you start to close out your meeting, it's important to decide on what the check-in plan is going to go. Ask what the expectations are for your child to do at home and what they should be practicing in between sessions. I personally don't believe in tutoring homework. Kids already get a ton of homework from school, and if they have dyslexia, it often takes them twice as long as their classmates. And then they also come see me after the school day's over, which adds to more of their workload. So I don't believe in sending kids home with homework, but I do know some tutors who require homework in between sessions to try to make more progress. So each tutor is different, and so you want to make sure you ask that question before you commit, because if there's weekly homework on top of the homework that already comes home from school, that might add an extra strain to the family. So make sure you ask about that question. Other families actually really want homework. So like I have one family that really enjoys doing homework because the kids are siblings so they can have something to work on while I work with the opposite student. So I always print it out and give it to them. So it's one of those things where you ask if homework is an option or something that you can have or ask if it's a requirement because those can all be very different for each family of what they want. Some families want some extra practice and other families would rather not have one more thing added to the pile of things to do for the week. Now, when you check in about progress, ask about what is the best way to go about it. Should it be at the end of each session? Maybe not if the tutor has back-to-back clients. So for example, sometimes when I'm ending with one kid, the next kid is already at my doorway. So that's not always an easy time to do a check-in. So one thing that I like to do is I send a little note with my invoices when I send out the monthly invoices each month to let families know what progress we've made for this past month and where we are and what we're working on now. Another thing is the program I use has 12 steps to them. So it's really easy way for us to communicate the progress as the kids get really excited when they get to see the parents and tell them that they're moving on to the next step and they get really proud of themselves when they move up a level. A lot of times that's an easy way for families to know that we are making progress because the kids get really excited about their progress and share it too. All right, time to recap our episode for this week. Number one, ask a potential tutor or dyslexia specialist about their experience. Find out about what level of training they really have. A class for three or five days is not going to be someone who is fully prepared and certified in the program that they choose to use. And you especially want to know if they've done a practicum or not, because that means they've had mentoring and coaching on their instructional practices, not just learning out of a textbook. You also want to ask about the nitty gritty details about the cost and location of services and any requirements for homework. And lastly, when you end your conversation, make sure you know what the plan is to communicate progress 
and so that you guys can share information about how the student is doing at school or the tutor can share about how they are progressing with their education during their sessions. All right, that's it for today. Don't forget to go download the Parent Guide Conversations with Educators, and it is linked in the episode description as well as on the show notes on my website for episode 17 on parnelloeducation.com. See you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Dyslexia Devoted. Join us for our next episode by subscribing to this podcast as we devote each episode to different aspects of dyslexia. See you next time.